0: Hello and welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show, the phone number if you'd be like to be a part of the program, 877 97 that's 877-973-7425. Uh, the Whistleblower Report has come out, um, let me back up from the Whistleblower Report and, and give you... Uh, The sourcing I have from uh, Senate Republican sources who had direct knowledge of the whistleblower complaint last night before it was revealed, who said uh, that they were troubled by it, that this goes beyond the president's phone call, that the whistleblower paints a path to impeachment, uh, that he gives the Democrats a way forward with impeachment. Well, now we have the actual whistleblower complaint. We can see it for ourselves. I have read it. it. There are a couple of things. Um I, yeah there there is in my mind uh some progressive fan fiction going on. I mean it just just the media of course is buzzing about the opening paragraph, let me just read it to you. In the course of my official duties, I have received information from multiple U.S. government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. Oh, liberal f- fantasy fa- fan fiction from the left. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, this person, uh, I have been told reliably, is a partisan uh, certainly this person he does not like the president and certainly prefers an alternative to the president. But as the Senate source who had read the read the um, report last night, or I should say had direct knowledge of the report last night, um, as that person told me, the person behind the whistleblower complaint is still deeply credible, uh, even if that person does not like Donald Trump. It is a deeply credible person. The problem here for the Republicans now is that this is going to go on uh, and the whistleblower has painted a path to impeachment. And And I, I want to try to explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, let me give you the background, though, that we know of the whistleblower. This is a whistleblower who is a partisan, who the inspector general found has a bias against the president, who is represented by someone who worked for Hillary Clinton and for Chuck Schumer. And the whistleblower does not have direct knowledge of events. In fact, let me read you a key portion here. I was not a direct witness to most of the events described. However, I found my colleagues' accounts of these events to be credible because, in almost all cases, multiple officials recounted fact patterns that were consistent with one another. In addition, a variety of information consistent with these private accounts has been reported publicly. So this person is not a firsthand witness, but apparently if we're to read this report is in a position where multiple officials within the intelligence community have to tell this person stuff. And those various people all come to this person and tell him the same story. Uh, More particularly, most of this is about Rudy Giuliani. In fact, if if the presidency is brought down, it will be brought down because Rudy Giuliani is an incompetent moron whose wife stole his remote control for him, and he couldn't figure out how to change the channel. That's actually in the, the third divorce, uh, Rudy and Judy, or Rudy and Julie, whatever her name is. Uh, one of his complaints about her is that she kept taking his remote controls. Yes. So we, we are in a situation now where Rudy Giuliani is working to bring down the Trump administration through rank incompetence and overstepping his boundaries. Now, let's go into the whistleblower complaint. I'm going to read you some paragraphs from here. Uh, I am concerned that these actions pose risks to U.S. national security and undermine the U.S. government's efforts to deter and counter foreign interference in our election. To the best of my knowledge, the entirety of this statement is unclassified. When separated from the classified enclosure, I have endeavored to apply the classification standards uh, to separate out information. If a classification marking is applied retroactively, I believe it's incumbent upon the classifying authority to explain why such a marking was applied. In other words, this guy is afraid that uh, certain information is going to be classified after his whistleblower complaint so that it has to be redacted out. Now, Here's where we go. Um, This is what the whistleblower says about the phone call. We read the transcript yesterday. Here's what the whistleblower says about the phone call. Early in the morning, July 25th, the president spoke by telephone with Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. I do not know which side initiated the call. It was the first publicly acknowledged call between the two leaders since a brief congratulatory call when Zelensky won the presidency on April 21st. Multiple White House officials with direct knowledge of the call informed me that after an initial exchange of pleasantries, the president used the remainder of the call to advance his personal interests. Namely, he sought to pressure Ukrainian leaders to take actions to help the president's reelection bid. According to the White House officials, plural, who had direct knowledge of the call, the president pressured Mr. Zelensky to, one, initiate or continue an investigation into the activities of Hunter Biden, assist in purportedly uncovering uh, that allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election originated in Ukraine, specifically with relation to CrowdStrike, and meet or speak with two people the president named explicitly, uh, Giuliani and Attorney General Barr. So we can tell from this Remember, the complaint was drafted before the transcript, uh, before the transcript was available, and this individual didn't have access to the transcript. But based on multiple conversations, this individual can confirm several points that were made and released in the transcript from the White House that um, the president asked for the Biden stuff to be looked into asked for the Crowd Strike stuff to be looked into, and named Giuliani and Barr as representatives. By the way, you should know that Attorney General Barr uh, has not um, been involved, and the, the Department of Justice has confirmed that the president neither spoke to the attorney general nor did the attorney general speak to the Ukrainians at any time. Now, the president praised Ukraine's Prosecutor General uh, Lutsenko and suggested that Zelensky, the president, might want to keep him in position. And then there's a parenthetical note. Starting in March of 2019, before Zelensky was elected, Mr. Lutsenko made a series of public allegations, many of which he later walked back, about the Biden family's activities in Ukraine, Ukrainian officials' purported involvement in the 2016 U.S. election, and the activities of the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. The White House officials who told me this information were deeply disturbed by what had transpired in the phone call. They told me there was already a discussion ongoing with White House lawyers about how to treat the call because of the likelihood in the officials retelling that they had witnessed the president abuse his office for personal gain. I want to highlight something else here. And, and there's, there's a method to my madness. You just kind of have to bear with me as, as we work through this whistleblower complaint. But, but he says the officials retelling, plural apostrophe, not the official who is retelling it, but multiple officials retelling that they all believe they witnessed the president abuse his power. The Ukrainian side was the first to publicly acknowledge the phone call. On the evening of July 25th, a readout was posted on the Ukrainian president's website that contained the following language. Donald Trump expressed his conviction that the new Ukrainian government will be able to quickly improve Ukraine's image and complete the investigation of corruption cases that have held back cooperation from Ukraine and the United States. Aside from the above-mentioned cases purportedly dealing with the Biden family, there were no cases discussed, and we know that's true now from the transcript. They're the only cases, pending cases discussed related to Hunter Biden. Based on my understanding, there were approximately a dozen White House officials who listened to the call. A mixture of policy officials and duty officials. The officials I spoke with told me that participation in the call had not been restricted in advance because everyone expected it would be routine. I do not know whether anyone was physically present with the president. In addition to White House personnel, I was told a State Department official, Mr. T. Ulrich uh, Bruchbull, also listened in on the call. I was not the only non-White House official to receive a readout of the call. Based on my understanding, multiple State Department and Intelligence Community officials were also briefed on the contents of the call. Now, who is, let's, let's, let's Google together, shall we? T. Ulrich, ah, he's the number one Google search in America right now. T. Ulrich Brookbro. the number one Google search in America. He is the current counselor of the United States Department of State. He's held the position since, um, since 2018, uh, number one Google search in America right now. Uh, I'm tweeting this now. Number one Google search in America right now is um, T. Oric Bruchbull. Okay, there we go. Um, so we got all these people on the phone call, including the counselor for the basically the the State Department's lawyer. And he says multiple people got this in the days following the phone call. This is where where this is where we go deep now. Multiple U.S. officials um, tell this guy that uh, there was a lockdown of records of the phone call, especially the official word-for-word transcript that was produced, as is customary, uh, by the White House Situation Room. This set of actions underscored to me the White House officials understood the gravity of the situation. White House officials, plural, told me they were directed by White House lawyers to remove the electronic transcript from the computer system. The transcript was loaded into a separate electronic system to handle classified information, which is unusual. On July 26th, the day after the phone call, U.S. Representative for Ukraine Negotiations Kurt Volker assisted Kiev and met with Zelensky and a variety of Ukrainian officials. The ambassador was accompanied by the U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, based on multiple readouts, Volker and Sondland reportedly provided advice on how to navigate the president's demand. I learned from multiple officials that on August 2nd, Giuliani traveled to Madrid to meet with Andrei Yermak, the president of Ukraine's advisor. The U.S. officials characterized the meeting, which was not reported publicly, as direct follow-up. Separate multiple U.S. officials told me Giuliani reportedly privately reached out to Zelensky staffers. I do not know whether those officials met or spoke with Mr. Giuliani, but I was told separately by multiple officials that Yermak and Bakunov intended to travel to Washington. On August 9th, the president told reporters, I think Zelensky is going to make a deal with Putin, and he'll be invited to the White House, and we look forward to seeing him. He's already been invited to the White House. He wants to come. I think he will. He's a reasonable guy. He wants to see peace in Ukraine. In late March of 2019, before the Ukrainian presidential election, several Ukrainian officials in articles in The Hill in Washington, D.C., most notably uh, Lutsinkov, the prosecutor, made a series of allegations against other Ukrainian officials and current and former U.S. officials. Mr. Lutsenko and his colleagues alleged that they possessed information about Ukrainian officials who had interfered in the 2016 election, that the U.S. embassy in Kiev had obstructed Ukrainian law enforcement agencies' pursuit of corruption cases, and that Joe Biden had pressured the former president to fire the former prosecutor, Shokin, in order to quash a criminal probe into Hunter Biden's company. In several public comments, Mr. Lutsenko stated he wished to communicate directly with William Barr, the Attorney General. The allegations by Lutsenko came on the eve of the first round of Ukraine's presidential election. By that time, Lutsenko's pro- political patron was trailing Zelensky in the polls and looked like he was going to be defeated. Zelensky had made known his desire to replace Lutsenko at prosecutor general. On April 21st, uh, Poroshenko lost the runoff to Zelensky. It was reported that Giuliani met on two occasions with Mr. Lutsenko. And then the president called Mr. Lutsenko's claims big and incredible. So what's happening here, you need to understand, is that it looked like the president of Ukraine was going to lose to Zelensky, the new president, and he was. And so the former president's special prosecutor, state prosecutor, turned on him and started saying that essentially uh, the former Ukrainian government was corrupt and had been meddling in the U.S. election and uh, he needed to stay on the job to investigate it. Uh, Zelensky, the new president, fired the guy, and that's where President Trump comes in with this call, saying, "Hey, I heard the last guy was a great guy who who was going to go after all this stuff, and and look at what the Russians did in 2016. And oh, by the way, could you look at the Biden stuff?" Now, on April 29th, this guy says he learned from U.S. officials with direct knowledge of the situation that uh, the ambassador Jovanovich, who was the Ukraine was the, uh, the ambassador to Ukraine had been recalled to Washington for consultation. He also learned from one U.S. official that associates of Mr. Giuliani were trying to make contact with a new president. The State Department on May 6th said the uh, American ambassador to Ukraine was ending her assignment. Several U.S. officials told me, in fact, that her tour was curtailed because of the Lusenko allegations. On May 9th, the New York Times reported Giuliani was sent going to Ukraine to press the Ukrainian government to pursue investigations that would help the president in his election. All of this runs up to the phone call. Um, But a week before the phone call, the president cuts aid to Ukraine prior to. Now, everything related to cutting the aid is redacted. Uh, It's all classified, um, which becomes somewhat problematic. There is some classified information here. So. That's, that's the allegation. Now, the, the relevant impact on this, I realize this is all swimming in your head. You are confused. What did you just hear? I wanted to read it to you so you could hear it in your own words. When we come back, I want to break it down for you of why it's significant, um, because there is some real significance. I've been talking to Republicans in Congress who are troubled by the allegations, but the real trouble has really nothing to do with the substance, but everything to do with the process. And I want to explain that to you when we come back. All right, so we've got the whistleblower complaint out in the public. If you go to theresurgent.com, you can follow the link there and you can read it for yourself. You don't need me to read it to you. Um, This is why the whistleblower complaint is problematic for this president. Number one, the whistleblower provides a path to impeachment, and that is the biggest concern for this White House. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, how were the Democrats going to do this? The, The Democrats were going to have uh, a bunch of committees and those committees were going to go off in a million different directions and in going off in a million different directions they were going to muddy the water and they were going to not be able to produce a comprehensive narrative you were going to have some people over over on ukraine some people on russia some people on the trump hotel some people on this some people on that um, you wouldn't be able to get a comprehensive narrative of what was wrong. Now, uh, this will be very, very focused. And in being very, very focused, uh, they will be able to build a story around one issue that the president wanted to go after his political opponents and wanted to hijack uh, Ukraine's foreign aid in order to do it. That will be the message. What the whistleblower, what the whistleblower provides is very distinct. The whistleblower provides the names of people to call and those people to be called will be highly respected people, some of whom will be political appointees and some of them will be careerists. They will not be protected by executive privilege when it comes to an impeachment investigation. They will not be able to hide behind executive privilege in a lot of this stuff. Why? Because they talked or we know they talked. They've already talked. They've talked to this person. If they won't go to those people because the president wants to fight them on executive privilege, they'll go to the whistleblower. And the whistleblower will provide their names, which will open a can of worms as to why the president isn't allowing these people to testify. And then it becomes very awkward. Um, The president wants to send them to the Hill to say this guy's lying. and, And they won't go under oath and say the guy's lying. Well, why not? The president said you can do that. The other thing is a really big one that goes slightly unnoticed. And that is the whistleblower. Let me let me read you again this paragraph so you understand this. This is where they open a bag of worms in this phone call. Uh, where is it? Yes. White House officials told me they were directed by White House lawyers to remove the electronic trans- transcript, from the computer system in which such transcripts are typically stored for coordination, finalization, and distribution to cabinet-level officials. Instead, the transcript was loaded into a separate electronic system that is otherwise used to store and handle classified information of an especially sensitive nature. One White House official described this act as an abuse of this electronic system because the call did not contain anything remotely sensitive from a national security perspective. Who is the one White House official? We're going to want to know that person's name. And then are there any other documents that were put into this separate electronic system that should not have been there? Does anyone have notice of those things? What documents are put in there? Will there have to be a congressional review of classified documents to see what's being hidden? This opens a can of worms for the president And the interesting thing here is, by and large, this is all because of Rudy Giuliani. This is all because of the late-night conversations and stuff Rudy Giuliani told the president. That's the problem here. Rudy Giuliani's going to bring down this White House because he's an idiot. I would like to note for the record, I have concluded that Chick-fil-A's drive-through is part of sanctification um, because it is real hard to get through there without losing your religion. I I kid you not. So today is fuel. Normally, I get up, I make myself an omelet. I have some toast. This morning, I decided, you know what? I want a chicken biscuit. And so I went to Chick-fil-A, and I made the unfortunate mistake of getting in the drive-thru. The Chick-fil-A is three minutes from my house. I was in the drive-thru for probably 20. Y'all, I hope the the line to get into heaven moves faster than the line at the chick fil I Wow. Okay. If you're just tuning in, the whistleblower complaint has come out, and welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I do recommend, by the way, that you text the word SHOW to the number 33777, and the reason I, I'm encouraging you to do that is because uh, I am talking to sources on Capitol Hill. For example, last night I had a big story, uh, went out and was able to push it out to people so that they, they got the story ahead of everybody else, um, that I did talk to a Republican source who had direct knowledge of the whistleblower complaint, who had had seen it, and could fill me in on things, and I, I want to spend some time on that with you today. But um, in getting there, and by the way, Congressman Doug Collins is going to join me at 11 o'clock this morning to talk about all this. Congressman Doug Collins from here in Georgia uh, will be joining me in the 11 o'clock hour today. You're going to want to not want to miss that. You're definitely going to want to hear him. Okay, Um, here's the problem. If you're just tuning in, let me give you the very quick summation. The whistleblower acknowledges in his complaint that he has no direct knowledge, none, of the phone call. He, he was not there. Um, in fact, he, he's very specific up front in his writings. Uh, let me read you the, um, a, a, Oh, I was not, a, this is direct line from the whistleblower. I was not a direct witness to most of the events described. I found my colleagues' accounts of these events to be credible because in almost all cases, multiple officials recounted fact patterns that were consistent. So he has no direct knowledge of the call. But then he writes this, according to the White House officials, with direct knowledge of the call, the president pressured Mr. Zelensky to initiate or continue an investigation into the activities of Joe Biden and his son, assist in purportedly uncovering the allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 election with specific requests that the Ukrainian leader locate and turn over servers used by the DNC and examined by the cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike and meet or speak with two people the president named explicitly as his personal envoys, Mr. Giuliani and Attorney General Barr. You need to understand this pattern because the whistleblower says he has no direct knowledge of the call. He was not on the call. He did not see the transcript of the call. And you're thinking, okay, well, if he has no direct knowledge and no transcript, hadn't seen the transcript, well, then, okay, no big deal. Well, except he's able to provide these three points, and we know from the transcript that those points are real. Uh, The crowd strike, the activities of Hunter Biden— and that Barr and Giuliani are his direct representatives. Now, we now know, he mentions in, his, in the beginning of his whistleblower complaint that Attorney General Barr uh, may be implicated. We now know from the Department of Justice, the president never talked to William Barr about Ukraine, and William Barr has not talked to the Ukrainians. So that was speculation on his part that we can drop out of this. But you you have to acknowledge, the most partisan among you has to acknowledge that if someone says, I don't have direct knowledge of the call— but here's what people told me, and those multiple people told him things that we now know are true, well, then he's clearly got good sources. So that's one of the troubling things here, is that he clearly has good sources. And there are multiple sources, again, key language, according to the White House officials with direct knowledge. He is very clear between sections whether it's one person told him something or multiple people told him something. You know what that gets the Democrats? It's called a witness list. When I was a lawyer, I was a lawyer for six years and I was mostly a transactional lawyer, uh, but the litigators used me uh, and, and they used me during the discovery process. When you file a lawsuit, you file a complaint and your complaint alleges X, Y, and Z. And 30 days later, the defendant will file an answer, and the answer responds paragraph by paragraph to the complaint. Um, Defendant acknowledges that, yes, the plaintiff is who he says he is. Defendant acknowledges that plaintiff lives in this place. Defendant uh, doesn't have the knowledge to ascertain that this person was born on such and such a date. Uh, Defendant denies that they were in the same place. Defendant denies causing injury. Defendant denies this. You file your answer. Once the answer is filed you move into a process called discovery and in discovery, both sides get to do a couple of things. They they get to um, file interrogatories and interrogatories are questions that one side sends to the other side. So for example, um, provide me the names and addresses of everyone you believe is an eyewitness. Provide me a detailed accounting of what you think happened provide me line by line documents on every one of your named eyewitnesses who you think witnessed that particular act. And then you get requests for production of documents and your request for production of documents is provide me all the documentation you have. Provide me all the evidence, provide me all the receipts, provide me all the bills, provide me all these things, provide me all the documents. So one is they answer interrogatories. They answer questions, request for production of documents. They hand over documents. Well, When Democrats are going through an impeachment process, there's no rule for how you do an impeachment. But what they typically do is they typically follow that pattern. They send out questions to the White House and they send out requests for production of documents. And one of the things they will do along the way is is then they'll do depositions. That's another part of the discovery process. So they'll bring the whistleblower in, more likely than not behind closed doors and they will ask the witness this. This will be one of the questions they ask the whistleblower. You write on page two of your complaint, according to the White House officials who had direct knowledge of the call, the president pressured Mr. Zelensky to do three things. Who were those White House officials? They'll want to know. They'll want to know. Uh, In another case, uh, multiple White House officials tell me that uh, documents were taken out of the, the unclassified section and put into the classified section. Who are these people? You write on page four of your complaint, quote, one White House official describes this act as an abuse of this electronic system. Who is that White House official? And on and on and on it'll go. We also know there are, there are names of people who will want to be called. Rudy Giuliani will be called. Now, the problem here with Rudy Giuliani is that this muddies the water. It muddies the water because um, Rudy Giuliani is supposed to be the president's legal counsel. And they're going to have to have a fight over what is privileged and what is not privileged. And arguably, Rudy Giuliani, you will recall, on live TV, Rudy Giuliani said on live TV that Rudy Giuliani went to... Ukraine and Europe at the request of the State Department. Rudy Giuliani said this on TV. So if Rudy Giuliani said this on TV, that he went on behalf of the State Department, he's no longer operating as a, um, he's no longer operating as counsel for the president. And if he's no longer operating for counsel to the president, then what's he doing? This becomes problematic. You see what I'm getting at? Rudy Giuliani has blurred his uh, counselor position to the presidency. And because he's blurred his counselor position to the presidency, uh, Rudy Giuliani is now in a situation where it's going to be very, very hard for him to back out of testifying before Congress. That's problematic. Um, So we now, from this whistleblower complaint, we've got a, a path for the Democrats to get documents, including documents that were put in a classified vault when they shouldn't have been. And we also have a path for the Democrats to ask for witnesses, that becomes very problematic for this White House. It becomes problematic for this White House because you can drag out an impeachment process. Now, listen to Chuck Todd from MSNBC on this. How does
1: impeachment play politically, setting aside the substance of whether or not there's an impeachable offense here? That's been the issue at the heart of, of Pelosi's reluctance, hasn't it? About well, whether or not have, this is going to hurt Democrats? I also have a, a big, large question today. All right. Yesterday we found out that, that the Democrats are now essentially united on this question. Mm. Now I want to know what does this look like? You know, and and in the Iowa caucuses are the Monday after Super Bowl Sunday. We are in week four, I think, coming up of football season. Okay, so everybody can do the math here. Um, it's It would be odd if they were still in an impeachment process while the primary season were going. Well, so, so there's, no, one there's, one would there's nothing to stop that, but you're saying the political calendar, the calendar is that they got to do it now or never. And you already hear Jerry Nadler says he can get this done by the end of the calendar year. Look, I, I do think... Super Bowl Sunday is essentially their unofficial deadline here. If they, if, mm. if they want to vote on articles, they probably got to do that this calendar year. So this is going to have to accelerate what she did not do yesterday, is lay out what does this process look like and how do they keep it so that it isn't dragging on. Well, there's multiple trip, committees. She, it's, it's notable she didn't assign a select, a specific committee to handle impeachment.
0: I wonder if she's going to, I wonder if they're going to come to regret that. I think they're going to have to do that now. Uh, but their timeline, they can drag this out, and that's going to be a problem for the White House. Now, let us go to the phones. Uh, Tom in Gainesville, you're going to be first. Welcome. Good
2: morning, Eric. Great show, as usual. Thank you. Um, and when you give out your phone number, it's E-R-I-C-K. I was going, I, just, I thought E-R-I-C, and I, I went, that, wait a that, minute, that's yes, not that, That's why anyway, I, I give out the long the,
0: number, too, yeah.
2: Yeah, anyway, I got through. Good. So my, my point or my question is, doesn't it make a lot of what you're saying moot because he's released the document that they were looking for? Uh, Why he, doesn't that sort of – okay. Yeah. And they can say, yeah, we put this stuff in there, my bad. But, you know, here's what you wanted. What's the problem? Because – I mean, he, doesn't the president have a right – wait a minute, let, let me finish. Okay. Doesn't the president have a right to investigate bad guys – whether they're his opponent or not.
0: Yes, yes, he absolutely does. And that's one thing the Democrats are going to obfuscate on. And by the way, I think that's why Joe Biden can't be the Democratic nominee now, uh, because the president can raise that point, and it's a very legitimate point. But as to your point on, on the documents, see, this is where we have trouble. And Tom, thanks very much for the phone call. And he's right. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, that's E-R-I-C-K, which means it's eight seven seven nine seven three. 973 7425. 877 973 7425. So, Tom on the phone raises a very good point. The president's released the transcript now. So, what do the Democrats have? Yes, but Tom, it is a very good point. Well, the, this guy says they hid the transcript in the classified section. Well, they've released the transcript. Now, by the way, we also know from this guy, here's something the Democrats tried to obfuscate on yesterday. The Democrats tried to obfuscate on whether or not this was an actual transcript. Let me read you the whistleblower complaint here. This is important uh, because the Democrats did try to do this. Um, in the days following the phone call, I learned from multiple U.S. officials that senior White House officials intended to lock down all records of the phone call, especially the official word-for-word transcript of the call that was produced. Now, there's a notation at the bottom of the transcript that this isn't really a transcript, but in fact, it it is a transcript. It is a transcript. And the president has released it. So what's the big deal about putting it in, in the classified section? Well, here's where the big deal comes in, Tom is that the Democrats can say, well, what other documents have you been putting in there? What other calls have you been worried about? It, it, it opens a bag of worms for the president uh, because the Democrats will want to come through and they'll suggest, well, we know they did it in this case. What about all the other cases? And if, if that's the case, well... The White House, they can let the Democrats track out this fishing expedition and suggest they're heading. Now, the, the president has reasonable arguments here that this is a vault for classified information. Uh, and maybe they can allow a couple of, of congressional staffers to go through who have clearance and verify for themselves. But then that just still opens up a, a, a bag of worms. What the whistleblower's done here is he's essentially given the Democrats a path to start a fishing expedition. Now, Tom made another point, and he's 100 percent on the money the president has every right to see if Joe Biden uh, did things and if the Russians did things. I got to tell everybody, I I think that everybody's missing the point on the Joe Biden stuff. Uh, The Joe Biden stuff actually isn't very relevant, and I want to explain to you why. Um, But what is relevant is uh, this CrowdStrike stuff. The Democrats are trying to dismiss it as kooky, fringe conspiracy stuff, but it's not. If you will recall, the Democratic servers were broken into... And there are credible allegations that the Democratic servers were not actually in the United States. They were remote servers. They were just using some system around the world. And that the Russians found out where they were and that they were in uh, Ukraine. And that the Democrats, they allowed a third-party group to examine the servers, but they didn't allow the FBI to examine the servers. There were credible allegations about that, and the Democrats have never wanted to be fully detailed and honest about what actually happened. And that's where the president's getting getting at with this crowdflare stuff is, is what actually happened. It all relates to the Russians hacking the Democratic server in 2016. And, you know, you would think the Democrats would be grateful here. They say the Russians interfered in the election, and here's the president saying, hey, well, we would like your cooperation in investigating whether or not the Russians actually did hack the DNC server. You would think the Democrats would be happy about that, but they're not. It's not that, though. It's it's the other that's problematic, and it's how the media has edited the transcript of the president's call that's messed up. I got to play you some unbelievable audio when we come back about how the media is genuinely trying to distort what the president actually did and what the president actually said to the Ukrainian president. Man, y'all, we haven't even really begun here. Uh, we, I've got so much audio to play for you as well. Part of the problem that the president's going to have in this is that so much of this is related to Rudy Giuliani. The whistleblower, time and time again, uh, points his finger at Giuliani as, as someone who's problematic. Well, the president was asked about Giuliani. Well, you'd have to ask Rudy.
3: I will, tell you, I will tell you this, that uh, Rudy's looking to also find out where the phony witch hunt started, how it started. You had a Russian witch hunt that turned out to be two and a half years of phony nonsense. And Rudy Giuliani's a great lawyer. He was a great mayor. He's highly respected. I've watched the passion that he's had on television over the last uh, few days. I think it's incredible the way he's done. What he's out is he wants to find out where did this Russian witch hunt that you people really helped perpetrate, where did it start? How come it started? It was all nonsense. It was a hoax. It was a total hoax. It was a media hoax and a Democrat hoax. Where did it start? And Rudy's got every right to go and find out where that started. And other people are looking at that, too. Where did it start? The enablers. Where did it all come from? It was out of thin air. And I think he's got a very strong right to do it. He's a good lawyer. He knows exactly what he's doing. And it's very important.
0: Well, he's a good lawyer and he knows exactly what he's doing. And it doesn't look like he does, actually. Uh, a little bit more from the president yesterday.
3: Because I was getting such fake news and I just thought it would be better. And now they're asking for the first phone conversation. And I'll release that, too, if it's important to you. But they're asking for because I had a conversation previous on a previous election uh, plateau that uh, he had hit. The... Uh, the current president hit a couple of different plateaus and i spoke to him uh, previous to the call that we released which was a very innocent call a uh, very very innocent very nice call and as he said we were i wasn't pushed i wasn't pushed meaning pressured he wasn't pressured at all uh, but i don't like the concept of releasing calls because when a president or a prime minister or a king or a queen calls the united states you don't like to say gee we're going to release your call to the fake news media and they're going to make you look like a fool. Uh, What happens is it's hard to do business that way. You want to have people feel comfortable. So I hated it, but uh, you folks were saying such lies, such horrible things about a call that was so innocent and so nice.
0: speaking of, he doubles down on the no quid pro quo. President,
3: the new president of Ukraine is looking to stop corruption. there's a lot of corruption going on and there was corruption. I just told you about senators that threatened him with votes and no money coming into Ukraine if they do things. That's really what people are trying to say that I did, but the only difference is I didn't do it. You take a look at that call, it was perfect. I didn't do it. There was no quid pro quo, but there was with Biden and there was with these senators. Uh and uh, they threatened. They said, "You do this, you do that. We're not going to give you votes." That's That's the real
0: deal. Yeah, there you go. Um, So there's a problem here, and that is that the intelligence community, someone in the intelligence community, has decided to make these claims against the president and suggest there was a quid pro quo. And that's going to really hurt the president's willingness to trust the intelligence community. I mean, objectively so, it's going to hurt um, that the, the president is, um, he can't trust the people behind the scenes in the intelligence community to give him honest advice, at least that's going to be his opinion here. This is why the whistleblower complaint is problematic to Republicans. And again, the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to Doug Collins, and I want to raise this issue with him uh, on the trust within the within the intelligence community with the president, and the president feeling like the intelligence community is at war with him. It's a valid point. But what's also a valid point is that this whistleblower has now provided a, a list of names or suggested he has a list of names that the White House or the, the Congress can go subpoena and get them to come testify. And I bet you it's going to be more of the intelligence community. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers, well, they got a bunch of different systems that don't work together. They've got one system for accounting, they've got another system for sales, they have another system for inventory, and so on. It's just a big inefficient mess. Taking up too much time, too many resources, it hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, it gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or your phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insight with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com eric. That's netsuite.com eric to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erick- Erickson Show, the phone number, 877-97-ERICK, E-R-I-C-K, that's 877-973-7425, oh, we'll get into Georgia news, we, we will, we'll get into Georgia news, but the whistleblower complaint is out, uh, if you weren't here in the first hour, or your station wasn't carrying it at the time, I I, I want to do a very quick review of the whistleblower complaint. I'm not going to go back through it in detail right now. Uh, You can subscribe to the podcast if you want. Text the word SHOW to 33777. Uh, Text the word SHOW to 33777. Uh, You can sign up for the daily email and get the link to the podcast uh, where you can hear the very detail breakdown. Um, Let me just put it to you this way. Yesterday or last evening, I had a call with someone from the Senate, a, a Senate source, Republican, who had direct knowledge of the whistleblower complaint at the time. Uh, it has now been released, and it, it corroborates what this source said, in that the whistleblower complaint actually is troubling. In fact, we've got a number of Republican senators who have seen this, and they've come forward. Uh, ben Sasse has said it's troubling. Mitt Romney says it's inappropriate. Pat Toomey says it's inappropriate. Cory Gardner says he he is concerned. Uh, Susan Collins says concerned. Remember, the Democrats only need 66 votes in the Senate to convict the president in impeachment. And you got a number of Republicans who are to come forward and saying, this isn't good. What is it about the whistleblower complaint that is so troubling to them as opposed to the transcript, which many people said, "Eh, it's not good, but it's it's not impeachable. The problem are the allegations made by the whistleblower. Now stop, wait, you're going to say, Hey, this guy we know is a partisan. And this guy we know is someone who uh, had no direct knowledge of the call. Yes, that's true. In fact, Um, here's what the, the whistleblower says. I was not a direct witness to most of the events described. However, I found my colleagues accounts of these events to be credible because in almost all cases, multiple officials recounted fact patterns that were consistent with one another. In addition, a variety of information consistent with these private accounts has been reported publicly. A lot of people are saying this person's probably a lawyer, uh, because of the The scripting and style of this memo, and also because of the various recitations of federal law, this is probably a lawyer. We don't know the identity of the person. There's been much speculation, Um, but the president, uh, this person did not have uh, information about the call. However, he says this, multiple White House officials with direct knowledge of the call informed me that... After an initial exchange of pleasantries, the president used the remainder of the call to advance his personal interests. According to the White House officials with direct knowledge of the call, and they told this individual, the whistleblower, th- three things that came up on the call. So the whistleblower had no direct knowledge of the phone call. The whistleblower had not read the transcript, but the whistleblower had talked to multiple people with direct knowledge. And they, multiple people, told him the president did three things in the call. And guess what? It turns out that the whistleblower got those three things exactly right. That the president wanted a uh, pursuit of, of what happened with Hunter Biden. The president wanted an investigation into CrowdStrike. And the president named Rudy Giuliani and William Barr as his representatives in the matter. Those are actually in the transcript. So this person, and this is why Republicans are troubled. This person has no direct knowledge of what actually happened and yet was able to name the three big things that happened in the call, which means multiple people told him things, which means he knows those people, which means he can help the Democrats prepare a witness list of people who would not be bound by executive privilege. They wouldn't be bound by executive privilege for a number of things. One, Um, they would not be able to, um, they, because the transcripts been released and they were involved in that phone call that would open them up to have to testify Two, we don't know that these are uh, direct reports to the president who advised the president on background could be other members from the intelligence community and from white house staff. Uh, And so that opens them up. The the other thing that this person alleges, which is deeply troubling to Republican senators, is that the president put the transcript into a classified system when he shouldn't have. And and this was Tom called in the last hour from Gainesville, and and he, he made this point that, well, the president released the transcript, so why is it a big deal? Let me read you again the, the two bullet points on the, the call. One, White House officials told me, and again, this is plural, White House officials told me they were directed. So multiple people who were directed, who are those people, what were they told, and who told them? Those are relevant questions in an inquiry. They were directed by White House lawyers. So which White House lawyers? Are they lawyers who would be protected by privilege, people who give the president advice so they can't be called? Who? They were directed by White House lawyers to remove the electronic transcript from the computer system in which such transcripts are typically stored for coordination, finalization, and distribution. Instead, the transcript was loaded into a separate electronic system that is otherwise used to store and handle classified information of an especially sensitive nature. Now, one White House official, only one, one White House official described this act as an abuse of this electronic system. Which White House official? Congress is going to want to know as an abuse of this electronic system. And now this raises another question. Is this the only thing they put in? Or were there other things they put into the system that they shouldn't have? Maybe these White House officials will know and why did the lawyers do this uh, you know the one thing that readily comes to mind here and this is a, a georgia connection this is an augusta georgia connection remember what's her name um one of the seasonal seasonal um idiots uh was her name summer or winter or Summer, fall, winter, spring—I don't know. Remember the the little idiot hipster girl in Augusta who worked for the was a, an outside agent for the National Security Council or National Security Agency, and she leaked the transcript of the call with the president or prime minister of Australia and the president. She's now in jail. Winter, summer—hang on a second. This is going to drive me crazy. Winter Augusta Trump Australia. What was this girl's name? Um, uh, Leaked transcript. Leaked transcript. I thought the girl's name was... Maybe it was Summer. Um, uh, Um, I don't know. In any of it, Uh, the girl wound up going to jail, but she she worked in Augusta. She uh, She worked in Augusta. There was some sort of facility in Augusta that she worked at, and she was able to get into the system, and she was able to get the transcript out and leak it to the press and she's now in jail. Uh, I can, I would suspect that this is one reason why the White House wanted to move this transcript into a secured electronic system because they knew the Democrats were, were out to get people and everything else, and, and they wanted to, to have some protection. Not because they thought the president did something malicious, but because they didn't want malicious people to try to leak stuff to embarrass the president. Uh, they, listen, they, they got proof they needed it. Now... Let's get into some of the audio here of things that are going on as the Democrats continue to build stuff. We got Chuck Schumer out there with the whistleblower. Getting the transcript is a good step, but is the complaint
4: we need. That is the gravamen of this resolution. It is the whistleblower's complaint, not the transcript, that we need and are asking for in this resolution. And so I further ask that the resolution be agreed to and the motion to be reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table with no intervening action or debate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He wants the whistleblower complaint out. Yeah, that, that's it. Winner. It wasn't winter. Winner. Thank you to my buddy, Brett, who, who's Brent who's listening. Reality. That's right. It was reality. Reality winner. Um, it wasn't winter. It was winner. Uh, I thought it was winter. Thank you for clarifying that. She's the little idiot. Yeah. Reality uh reality bit the dust and uh, is in the federal pen for leaking this stuff um so schumer you notice how they're they're moving the goalposts on this
4: i strongly support speaker pelosi's decision if we don't reckon with president trump's persistent transgressions the very foundation of this great republic is at risk
0: No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, I I think that's hyperbole. Here's here's Schumer. We need the complaint.
4: We need the complaint of the whistleblower as sent to the IG. It's nice to have the transcript. We don't even know right now if the complaint is about the transcript in part or in whole. And without the complaint, we don't know what the IG thought was so urgent. We do not know what the whistleblower thought was so urgent. So simply to release the transcript is not going to come close to ending the need of the American public and the Congress to
0: see what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we got it. Uh, Notice how they keep shifting the goalposts. But there's something else the Democrats are doing that should bother everyone. Uh, I want to go back to, I I had this pulled up earlier. Um, I should have gotten it. Yep, here we go. Um, I want to pull up the transcript, because you need to hear something from the transcript. I want to begin reading on page three of the transcript. Yeah, I got to do some reading here. Uh, It's reading. It's story time, boys and girls. Let me read to you from the transcript. I would like for this is the president. I would like for you to do a favor because our country has been through a lot. And Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server, they say. Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on the, by some of the same people. I would like to have the Attorney General call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with very poor performance by a name named Robert Mueller. And incompetent performance, but they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. I would like for you to do a favor. Look into CrowdStrike. Now, the president of Ukraine responds, Yes, it is very important for me and everything that you just mentioned earlier. For me as a president, it is very important that we were open for any future cooperation. We are ready to open a new page on cooperation in relations between the United States and Ukraine. For that purpose, I just recalled our ambassador from the United States, and he will be replaced by a very competent and very experienced ambassador who will work hard on making sure that our two nations are getting closer. I would also like and hope to see him having your trust and your confidence and have personal relations with you so you can cooperate ever so more. I will personally tell you that one of my assistants spoke with Mr. Giuliani just recently and that we were hoping very much that Mr. Giuliani will be able to travel to Ukraine and we will meet once he comes to Ukraine. I just wanted to assure you once again that you have nobody but friends around us. I will make sure that I surround myself with the best and most experienced people. I also wanted to tell you we are friends. We are great friends, and you, Mr. President, have friends in our country, so we can continue our strategic partnership. I also plan to surround myself with great people, and in addition to that investigation, I guarantee as the president of Ukraine that all the investigations will be done openly and candidly. That I can assure you. Here's the president again. Good. Because I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good, and he was shut down, and that's really unfair. A lot of people are talking about that, the way they shut your very good prosecutor down and you had some very bad people involved. Mr. Giuliani is a highly respected man. He was the mayor of New York City, a great mayor, and I would like him to call you. I will ask him to call you along with the attorney general. Rudy very much knows what's happening. He's a very capable guy. If you could speak with him, that would be great. The former ambassador from the United States, the woman, was very bad news. And the people she was dealing with in Ukraine were bad news. So I just want to let you know that. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you could look into that, it sounds horrible to me. There are about 576 words between the president asking the Ukrainian president for favor related to CrowdStrike and the president getting to the Ukraine situation. There are 576 words. If you're charitable and only stop Uh, where the president starts speaking again, it's 540 words. This is the way CNN covered that.
5: A just-released transcript of a phone call shows President Trump asking Ukrainian President Zelensky to investigate his political rival, former Vice President Joe Biden. And in this call, the president repeatedly stresses how much the U.S. does for Ukraine. And then he says, quote, I would like you to do us a favor the president asks zelensky to dig up dirt on biden and his son hunter who sat on the board of a ukrainian energy company while his dad was vice
0: president just that was cnn that was how so they they stripped the 576 words and went straight to that but it's not just them msnbc did it as well
5: What there is proof of and what there is a paper trail of because the White House just released it is a summary or notes of a conversation that the president had with the man uh, that was sitting to his right, the president of Ukraine, where he said, will you do me a favor and investigate Vice President Biden's son? Will you do me a favor and get involved in the 2020 election? Vice President Biden is my chief political Opponent. At that point, he was leading uh, Donald Trump quite a lot in the polls.
0: Now, notice she actually added words here. Will you get involved in the 2020 election? Joe Biden's my chief opponent. That doesn't appear in the transcript. That None of that appears. in th- This is the way the media covered this phone call. This is the way the media covered the transcript. Is it any wonder the president calls them the enemy of the people? MSNBC really should apologize for that one. And I like Katie Turr. But the MB- NBC really needs to apologize. She did a hatchet job on the president there. That is not true. What she said is simply not true. And if you watch NBC, and of course, if you watch NBC, you're used to being lied to. It's not true. Um, And it's unfortunate that they went there, but they did. At the top of the hour, Congressman Doug Collins, the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, is going to be joining me, Doug Collins, from Yes! here in Georgia. We will be talking about all of this stuff. Uh, I want to keep telling you, though, uh, Mike Pence is finally out there. You know, the president... Uh, kind of through some people are are referring to this as shade in Pence's direction I I didn't really read it as that but the president basically saying you know hey Mike Pence talked to this guy too why aren't you asking about Mike Pence
5: important that you bring that up because this was actually uh, this was actually a call following President Zelensky's win in the parliamentary elections but his presidential victory was all built on an anti-corruption message and so the president wanted to speak about that I mean The United States of America has stood strong with Ukraine ever since the Russian military overran Crimea and has been underwriting a a savage war in the Donbas province uh, of Ukraine. Different from the last administration, we've actually been providing defensive weapons. The Obama administration was sending them blankets and pillows, but this president said, nope, we're gonna stand for the territorial integrity and the sovereignty of Ukraine. We've provided them with weapons, the ability to defend themselves
0: and a little more, uh, they asked him about the transcript. As the
5: president said a week ago, he did nothing wrong. Uh, The transcript reveals that despite reckless accusations in the media and by Democrats on Capitol Hill that the president had somehow threatened aid to Ukraine to demand a specific act that it just never happened. The transcript is clear on that point. The ironic thing is uh, the only time it did happen that we know about is when former Vice President Joe Biden Threatened over a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine in exchange for a specific act, but in this case, um, you know the president's been completely vindicated.
0: President's been completely vindicated. There we go. Um, now we know let's see we're we're seeing this from oh, the national journal. uh the whistleblower uh, apparently has more than a half dozen names of people who should be called. Uh, the Democrats, of course, though they've been very, very unfocused, uh, they're they're not really sure how to proceed. Nancy Pelosi put everybody behind closed doors yesterday, demanding that they pare down their investigation. She wants some real clarity here. Well, they, they need to. Here, here. I want to play Pelosi and then Kevin McCarthy, the Senate leader, or not the Senate leader, the House Republican leader. Here's Pelosi.
3: I haven't seen it, so I've just come from our own meeting. But the, the transcript is. Uh, The fact is that the President of the United States, in breach of his constitutional responsibilities, has asked a foreign government to help him in his political campaign at the expense of our national security, as well as undermining the integrity of our elections. That cannot stand. He will be held accountable. No one is above the
0: law. So she hadn't seen the transcript at the time, but she sure sounds like she already had her mind made up on impeachment. Here's Kevin McCarthy talking about the ridiculousness of all this. Just as
6: we went through the Mueller report and the rest of the world had to watch as long as we and it came back. We found out that Adam Schiff lied to us and that the president did nothing wrong. But the end of the day, I think what the rest of the country want to know, why did it start? Why would any president in the future have to go through this? I'd want to know the answer to the origin of that. And I'd want to make sure it never happens to anybody. What I'm concerned now is the Speaker of the House changed the course of that office for the history of this country. That a body that brings legislation, a body that represents the rule of law, would change the course of what it actually means. To claim that a president had violated a law with no information, based it on a whistleblower she does not know that wasn't even on a phone call. To claim that the president did a quick pro quo and mention Biden's name eight times. But when this transcript comes out, I wa- is it out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think at the end of the day, the speaker owes an apology to this nation. And I think it's even questioned why she should stay in her job. There you go, confused.
0: Kevin McCarthy. We'll be back here in just a moment with Georgia News. I do want to get into some of the Georgia news now. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. And yes, you can call in 877 97 Eric. That's E R I C K. 877 973 7425. There is Georgia news. In fact, there's Georgia news related to impeachment to a degree in that Lucy McBath uh, voted in the past for some of the impeachment. In lines of questioning to begin in the House Judiciary Committee, but she hasn't really wanted to be vocal and out there. And now it appears she's into hiding. Um, she doesn't want to take a strong position on impeachment, and, and I get it. I, if I was her, I wouldn't want to take a strong position on it either. But the problem for her is that uh, local reporters want every sort of angle, you, you know. So if you're if you're in the news business. Uh, Particularly if you're in the news business at the state and local level where the news media is dying and and you're really trying to capture eyeballs, you want to connect everything together as locally as possible. And it is a relevant local inquiry that you have a member of Congress in a seat that leans Republican but is a Democrat. And are they going to go for impeachment of the president? And the reason it's really relevant is because there's a lot of polling out there that shows impeachment still isn't popular. Uh 60% of Americans are opposed to impeachment. And in districts like McBath's district, the 6th congressional district here in Georgia, uh that numbers up to 70-80%. Most people in the district are opposed to impeachment. So what do you do? Well, McBath's current strategy is to ignore every reporter possible and not be seen. That's not going to last long. She has released a statement, of course, saying that she uh, agreed to begin investigations in the House Judiciary Committee. It was kind of a bland statement um, as to what she said or or did not say, as to what she did or did not do, uh, trying to avoid really taking any sort of striking position uh, on the situation. Um, Let's see. Yes, here we go. Uh, the AJC has the story uh, stalls as frontline Democrats endorse impeachment. Um, uh, trying to scan forward here. Yes, uh, more than half of the 40 something frontliners, that is the 40 something suburban swing district Democrats, came out in support of an impeachment probe by the end of Tuesday. One who wasn't on the list, Lucy McBath of Marriott, actually of Tennessee, but. They say of Marietta. Her office didn't respond to inquiries throughout the day. McBath herself ignored Jamie Dupree on Tuesday afternoon. McBath's upset victory in the 6th District was the Democratic Party of Georgia's crowning achievement, but it was also a very narrow margin. GOP groups have reminded McBath over and over she will pay for supporting impeachment. Now, McBath's office, after the AJC published all of this, released a statement. Saying she voted earlier this month to formalize parameters for the House Judiciary Committee's impeachment inquiry and said nothing has changed. As she continues to say from the beginning, the Judiciary Committee's investigation has always been to find the facts. The Congresswoman voted to finalize the impeachment inquiry process on September 12th and continues to support the responsibility of Congress to uncover the truth. Now, the resolution she supported gives committee staff the authority to question witnesses, allows the panel to examine sensitive evidence behind closed doors, and gives Trump's counsel the right to respond to testimony in writing. What it didn't do was commit to impeachment. Now, she did vote for to release the whistleblower complaint, but everybody in the House voted for that. Uh, Doug Collins, in fact, is going to join me at the top of the hour on that. But here's the thing. Here's something else Lucy McBath has not done. Uh, Her staff has released statements. She herself has avoided cameras. She herself has avoided being on record because she doesn't want the ad campaign against her. She doesn't want her face uttering the words of, I support the impeachment of the president. At least not yet. Maybe that'll change, but not yet. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how she tries to throw this needle. And again, her district is still a Republican district, and the Republicans lost it because they didn't turn out. It's not that she uh, overwhelmingly won the suburbs against Karen Handel. It's that Republicans merely didn't turn out, uh, and they're going to turn out for the president in 2020, and she knows this. She absolutely knows this. Meanwhile, Lynn Holmrich, uh, she's one of the candidates in the 7th Congressional District. Uh, she is she has started doing robocalls against Carolyn Bordeaux. Carolyn Bordeaux is not a member of Congress. Rob Woodall is the congressman, but he's stepping aside. Carolyn Bordeaux lost that seat by about six hundred votes in twenty eighteen. That district primarily is Gwinnett County. It is a swing district. Uh, Woodall won by about 700 votes. Although I got to tell you, if Woodall won by 700 votes in an off-year election when Republicans didn't show up, I suspect the GOP will keep it in 2020. But nonetheless, um, so Lynn Holmrick is a consultant-driven campaign. She's a uh, Home Depot executive, moved into the district to run, and she's running— Robocalls attacking Carolyn Bordeaux, who is not elected. I'm sure her consultants are getting a uh, pretty penny on the on the commission for the robocalls. Nonetheless, she's focused on Carolyn Bordeaux. Bordeaux has come out very quickly and said she absolutely favors impeachment of the president. And Bordeaux is much m- less moderate, much less moderate than Lucy McBath. Lucy McBath is very progressive personally, but she's been threading the needle as best she can in her district on trying to moderate her stances, except on gun control. Gun control is her issue. And uh, Bordeaux is just progressive, and she wants everybody to know she's progressive. It's going to be very interesting to see how they balance this out. Now, in other Georgia-related news, you need to know that uh, Senator Perdue is getting blown up by in certain quarters of the anti-immigration crowd for... Uh, getting uh, for taking away his objections to uh, immigration legislation by Mike Lee it is legislation the president supports and mike lee supports uh, and now david perdue who objected to it has supported is supporting it now that mike lee has changed it it's immigration legislation that focuses on highly educated skilled technology workers uh, Purdue had a number of concerns for how it worked, including a provision that was read as allowing these people, if they lost their technology job, to stay in the country. He opposed that the way it's structured now. Um, if you lose your job in technology and can't find a new job, comparable job in technology, you got to go back to your home country. Um, And also there are caps now on the number of of technology workers who come over, Uh, except in the far fringes of the uh, right wing anti-immigration crowd. There's really not a dispute that technology companies in this country need more high skilled technology workers. And if we can't get them here, they're going to go to China. And Purdue would rather bring high skilled technology workers and programmers to this country than have China take them. And Mike Lee drafted this legislation to help Silicon Valley companies in particular bring in high-skilled workers who have backgrounds in computer programming and other high tech skills that American workers don't have. These literally are the jobs Americans can't do because they don't have the intellectual background to be able to do them. And we don't have the time to train the kindergartner get them through all their years of school into college, get a college degree and then go work. We need them now. So Purdue has said he's okay with this. He's getting blown up today by anti-immigration forces for caving on this legislation because they don't want to let anybody in, but these are the people we need to let in again. China is not just a competitive threat to the United States. They are a strategic opponent of the United States, if not an outright enemy of the United States these days. Many of these high-tech computer programming workers in India, in Middle Eastern countries, and in Europe, particularly focused, though, in Southeast Asia, India, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, uh, they've got a, a huge core of computer programming workers. They're trained in computer programming. They're highly skilled in computer programming. Uh, they are essentially, you, you, you call your, your tech support, you get routed to these people in India. American technology companies would love to have them here because they have the skills already that we need. China is trying very, very hard to lure these individuals to China. China is trying very hard to pay them high salaries to come be programmers for the Chinese communist state. Anti-immigration forces in this country are of the, uh, to heck with this, let them go to China. We don't want them here, which is pennywise and pound foolish. It's to cut off your nose to spite your face. It's ridiculous to have highly skilled software programmers and say, go work for the communist Chinese. Don't come work for the United States. Purdue understands this, thankfully, and he has decided to go along with Lee's legislation. Now that some of the, the parameters of the legislation have been changed, to make it easier to deport people when they have uh, lost their jobs, to restrict the number of people who come. It's, it's a very good piece of legislation. And he's getting blown up, and he needs to be defended. Uh, this is good. We do not want these people working for China. It is a national security interest at this point. We will have these computer programmers working for China if they don't come here and work for the American private sector. Um, so good for him for doing this. Uh, the other big piece of news you need to know is Johnny Isaacson. Now, you know, nobody's asking about Isaacson and impeachment. Isakson is not running again. Republicans need to be concerned about senators who aren't interested in reelection. Remember, Um, it is always bad pieces of legislation that get passed by Republicans and Democrats who are no longer running again. That's one reason Republicans need to be concerned about all the house Republican retirements. If all these house Republicans are saying, I'm not running again, they don't really have a vested interest in protecting the president. They can do what they want to do independently. And there are some of them who are genuinely uh, opposed to the president right now. They're being good team players. They're keeping their mouths shut. But this is a potential problem for the president because these people could completely undermine him uh, if they decide they've had enough of him. They don't like him. They want him to go. They think the country would be better off. Um, and, and then you've got the Senate Republicans. You've got to remember there are, not a, there are only 15 Republicans in the Senate who are up for re-election. There are 15 Republicans who will be accountable to the voters in 2020 the vast majority of Republicans will not be accountable to voters. So the president needs to worry about them. uh, And right now they'll stand with the president and they will continue to stand with the president and they will keep taking abuse from the Democrats and the press. But at some point they may just have a to heck with you moment. And if they get to the heck with you moment and decide they'll take their chances with President Pence and angry voters that they don't have to face for four years or six years, they may vote for impeachment too. And Johnny Isaacson is one of those people that everybody forgets about because he's behind the scenes so much. isaacson has been unusually quiet on this issue. He has an issue, though, that he wants to advance, and it's an unusual issue. It's a gun-related issue, but it's not a gun control issue. Isaacson has become concerned over the past few years with more and more studies that show that mass shootings are what people are referring to as a social virus. There was a study of the USS Ronald Reagan, or a report of the USS Ronald Reagan, that three people within like a 48-hour span committed suicide on the USS Ronald Reagan. We know there are things that happen, a social contagion, a social virus, things that happen, Uh, Where something happens to one person and then it spreads through other people. Other people decide to reproduce the act, whether it's suicide or violence. And there's more and more data to show that uh, copycat syndrome, where people go out and copycat prior mass shootings, is something like that. There is a social mental disorder that spreads through people and they escalate violence. Johnny Isaacson wants the CDC to study this. Now, this has been um, dangerous ground in the past for Republicans because the Obama administration essentially wanted the CDC to dec- declare gun violence a um, national health crisis that would allow him some executive powers to do things, and the Republicans resisted it. But Isaacson actually wants the, the social contagion component of gun violence studied. Now, he's drafted this legislation, and he submitted it somewhat quietly. He's not grandstanding on the issue, and he's not seeking support or sponsors. He's just trying to get people to start talking about it. And, you know, there actually is a growing conversation on the right about this issue, about the fact that um, more and more we're seeing the same patterns over and over again in mass shootings, People write manifestos, they go on social media groups, they brag about what they're going to do, they embrace uh, white nationalist rhetoric, even if they don't mean it, they embrace it and they run with it. Uh, most of them do seem to mean it. Uh, they go out and they buy the same sorts of guns. They, they want to increase the kill spread from the last mass shooting and on and on it goes. And we're seeing this happen in society. There does seem to be a psychological component to it that's not well understood, And Isaacson would like to understand it better. Isaacson would like the country to understand it better. He would like the CDC to engage on the issue a little more to see if the CDC can figure out, is there a way when something like this happens, what can be done in society to stop this? And one of those things may very well be encouraging the media to not give out specifics of the mass shooting. Now, the problem here is the First Amendment. Would the media uh, be willing to do that? Would the media be willing to stand aside and say, "Eh, no, no, we're... We're not going to report the details. We're not going to report the casualties. We're not going to report the gun used. No, the media wants to report the gun used and the casualties because the media wants gun control. And, and Isaacson wants to try to raise people's awareness that, you know, there are ways to go about stopping mass shootings that do not involve confiscation of AR-15s. And part of that is uh, educating the media on how to deal with one of these situations to minimize copycatters. Whether or not the media will go along with it is another matter altogether. Uh, clearly, something needs be done. And Isaacson wants to try to wade into the waters, not with gun control, but with making people more aware that there does appear to be a viral component, a social contagion. And it's not well understood, so he wants to get federal money together to have the CDC study it. You know, I'm not opposed Sounds like it's good. People are talking about this. People are starting to recognize it. I read y'all the Malcolm Gladwell story a couple of weeks ago on how mass shooters, uh, the the psychology of them begins to spread. Maybe we can find a solution on that. You know, we mentioned we've got the voiceover, uh, JJ doing the voiceover there uh, saying you can text for different things. One of the things I do every week is I send out a recipe. Because I like to cook. In fact, I got a great new cookbook. Uh, for those of you on Facebook Live, you can see it. Eat Delicious, uh, Dennis the Prescott. Uh, it, it is man. So he's a he does gorgeous photography, uh, food, and he's also a great chef. And one of the one of the recipes in this cookbook, y'all, I, I'm going to have to make this and modify it to my liking, and then send it out. Um, where is this? You're, you're gonna yes there. Brown sugar bourbon and candied pecan ice cream. Brown sugar bourbon and candied pecan ice cream. Uh, brown sugar, you a quarter cup of bourbon, uh, and then you candy pecans with maple syrup and vanilla extract. And then you mix them all together in your ice cream machine. I've got a professional ice cream maker. I can turn out two quarts um, every 15 minutes. You know, I have at my office, I will stockpile. I'll spend a week making a bunch of ice cream and take it up there. I I, I may need to pick a radio station. And show up. Abby is listening right now, I bet, in Athens. Um, pick a radio station and show up with some of my homemade ice cream. I love to make homemade ice cream. I, I love to cook. And the reason I love to cook is I think politics has gotten so divisive and nasty these days. It's harder and harder for people to break bread with people who disagree with them on politics. And you got to find some common, thing, common ground. With people. I mean, your next door neighbor. We have built communities for ourselves online, so we don't have to have anything in common with the people across the street. We don't have to know our neighbors. We just find new neighbors on Facebook, and that's not really new neighbors. That's not even a community. That's just people who look and think like you, so you're never encountered with someone who disagrees with you, so you have less of an ability to relate to other people. Uh, you know, it's not your Facebook friend on the other side of the world that when you're sick is going to come check on you or bring you chicken noodle soup. It's going to be the guy next door. So you need to know that person. And I'm a big believer in breaking bread, and so I've started cooking more, and I love to cook. I've been cooking literally since I was five years old. I was such a picky eater. My mother forced me to learn to cook. At first, it was cold hot dogs and raw spaghetti noodles. That was my diet when I was a five-year-old. Then I learned how to actually boil the water and make the noodles and cook the hot dogs. And uh, by the time I was six years old, I was making Flemish-style carrots, which contained brandy. I kid you not. I have been cooking since I was five years old. My mother refused to cook for me. I was such a picky eater. She forced me to either do it myself or starve. So I did it myself. Uh, And I love cooking. It is a great distraction from politics. So this is a long way of saying every week I send out a recipe. And if you would like to get the recipe, I'm sending one out today. I can't decide. I'm thinking corn fritters. I got a great recipe for homemade corn fritters, uh, and they're fantastic. I'm not sure if that's the recipe I'm going to send, though. But you can sign up for the email. You text the word recipe to the number 33777. Just text the word recipe, R-E-C-I-P-E, to the number 33777. And I will, at some point this afternoon, send you. You'll get a response back saying, please give me your email address. You'll send in your email address. It'll auto-subscribe you. And at some point this afternoon, you will get an email from me. And I can't decide. i got so many recipes that I've been needing to send out. Corn fritters is kind of the one that I've been really wanting to send out lately. Um, I probably will. Although the croque monsieur is one of my favorite recipes. I'm scanning the recipes during commercial break. The problem though, also is that I've only got a few minutes during commercial break. So it's very hard to decide what I want. So maybe it will be the corn fritters. That's the one I opened today. Ooh, but the fried ravioli recipe is really good too. We'll figure it out. In any event, text the word recipe to 33777. Now. When we come back, we need to move back into the impeachment stuff and the uh, whistleblower complaint. Uh, Congressman Doug Collins is going to join me uh, in the next half hour. He'll be calling in as the show starts here after 11 o'clock. You're going to want to do that. Also, you should know the president's campaign has an ad out now um, where they're demanding further investigation into Joe Biden. And we should deal with the Joe Biden issue because there are is a lot of misinformation out there. And listen, I'm a conservative and I am a partisan, but I think the truth matters. And the truth is Joe Biden did not fire that pro- get that prosecutor fired to protect his son. In fact, there wasn't even an investigation ongoing with that company by the time Joe Biden intervened. He got fired the guy because Barack Obama wanted him fired and Biden just happened to be the henchman. That guy was getting fired one way or the other. Truth is truth. It's not spin if you don't know your numbers you don't know your business but the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers well they got a bunch of different systems that don't work together they've got one system for accounting they've got another system for sales they have another system for inventory and so on it's just a big inefficient mess taking up too much time too many resources it hurts the bottom line Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. It gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders and HR instantly, right from your desktop or your phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insight with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Eric. That's netsuite.com slash Eric to download your free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits. Netsuite.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here the Eric Erickson show. If you'd like to be a part of the show, you can call 877 97 Eric. That's 877 We are waiting for Congressman Doug Collins, uh, who will be calling in to discuss uh, this situation. In the meantime, uh, Republicans have gone into the archives. One of the funny things here with this situation uh, with impeachment is that most of the Democrats are still there. Um, you you got to understand that uh, Republicans have, over time, had much higher turnover than Democrats, uh, and they're going to have even more turnover. I uh, something. I read something like uh something like 50% of republicans who were in congress in 2010 will be gone after this time that that's a very high turnover unlike the democrats many of them are still there uh some of them have gone to the senate many of them are still our committee chairman now and republicans have gone back through and they found their words on impeachment and they've put them into a montage i want to be able to play that for you later also uh the trump uh a political action committee associated with president trump has come out with an ad campaign on investigating joe biden i want to be able to get that to you as well and of course alexandria ocasio-cortez has done her part to go on tv with chris cuomo to make sure everybody's still talking about the green agenda Um, but before we get to any of that, Congressman Doug Collins is joining me. Congressman, how are you?
7: I'm doing fine, Eric. How are you? I'm good. So boy, (laughs) (laughs) well, considering we're in a whirlwind of chaos up here and, uh, and the amazing, uh, third party reporting, but that was great.
0: Well, you know, I, I I gotta say, (laughs) I, I I talked to a, a Senate colleague, um, of yours who, told me that the problem with the the whistleblower report is not that it makes something impeachable but that it essentially provides the democrats a bunch of witnesses and documents they can use to drag this thing out to kingdom come
7: yep and i think it was planned that way I, and i don't mean but if you read it I, and i finally had a chance to read it i was asked earlier if i read it i have not i've read it before i knew i was gonna get to talk to you and so i read through it and you're an attorney you're a really good attorney i looked at this and i've done defense work for it i've This is just like the most amazing thing I read. Everywhere it turns, it reads as if it was a reporter for the Washington Post or somewhere else saying, well, I had multiple sources tell me this. I had multiple sources. This is, I mean, can you, on a side note here completely, if you were President Trump or President anyone, okay, and you read this report, and the intelligence community was on your phone calls, do you think you would ever have any trust I anymore? I was going to ask any-
0: you about that, because, you know, I read the part of the whistleblower complaint where they said that they moved the transcript from one server to another server for classified stuff, and the very first thing that popped in my head was Reality Winner, who leaked the transcript of the president's phone yep. call with the Australian prime minister. So how could you trust these people?
7: I don't know. I don't know if you can. And this is the sad part about this because these are, you know, career workers at different levels of this. And and but it, and this president, among more, has had a you know a very rocky relationship, as the best you can with with these right. kind of uh, reports from the intelligence community and everything else. And and then to have this come out, and I mean, for for Democrats to say, and look, they're going to, and you're correct. I, I don't deny the fact that now it's like a, a candy shop of what are we going to do next. But it feeds into the narrative that. This is not about impeaching the president in many ways. It is about defaming him. It's about rolling him through the dirt so that whoever they can drag across the finish line in the Democratic primary for president can have a weakened president to run against. And this is the part that's concerning me greatly. Again, I can't I'm just still sitting here stunned with how many times I read I was told by multiple sources. I was told by multiple sources. That's just I've I've never said this is a whistleblower. Then you and I can be whistleblowers.
0: Yeah, it, it, that is the thing that troubles me greatly here is the president's going to have an inability, I think, to trust uh, per, uh, others. And, you know, you, you, you say it reads like a reporter. It, it reads very much to me, given the recitations to executive orders and, and to statutes, oh, yeah. that there's a lawyer somewhere. Uh, and this person is a lawyer. It's someone who people in the White House had to talk to in some capacity. And now yep. he's essentially he drafted this whistleblower complaint to provide the Democrats with their roadmap, where you went from having probably 7 billion committees looking to, I'm sure Pelosi's now going to narrow it down and, and give some focus thanks to this person.
7: Oh, yeah. She loves Schiff. And Schiff has been, you know, basically uh, on this whole issue of, I mean, uh, you talk about zero credibility. Adam Schiff has zero credibility on, you know, 90%. This is the man who actually, you know, said it was collusion. It's already there. And, you know, and, and many other statements, and, but they'll put it in the Intel, which is where it, it, I guess, should be. The interesting thing is, though, the other thing that struck me a great deal about this, Eric, is this. This is not about uh, – this is more about policy. If you read the entire whistleboard complaint, it, this is about policy involvement here. This is not about intelligence community stuff. This is not about, you know, secrets. This is, not about, this is, this is rolled over, and I don't like what's happening here, and I've heard it confirmed by others. That they're moving in. That's the part that, again, when whistleblowers, I've seen in this town in the last nine months, I've seen a degradation of the House. I've seen a degradation of House rules, a degradation of House committee policies. And now I'm seeing a degradation in the very whistleblower statutes that we urgently need to make sure that our operations are working properly. And this one is just, it just amazes me.
8: Well,
0: and again, I mean, I think Republicans have legitimate grounds to to fixate on this particular point that it, there does seem to be real distrust because essentially what the whistleblower has done now is dragged probably some political appointees into an impeachment investigation they want to know part of. They, they because of their role, had to talk to this person and now suddenly they're going to get dragged before Congress and have to hire lawyers and, and deal with everything else involved and they were just trying to do their jobs
7: yeah I agree and and this is the part that is you know like I said is' very frustrating with this and and then it goes to something and we've been hitting a lot up here about this quote did you know Pelosi start an impeachment inquiry, and his speaker do that? No, she didn't formally, but she she just reemphasized in new language what they've been doing, and that's the investigation process. The reason that and this is important for listeners to understand why the important you know look we'll attack. You know, the Democrats, they were just wanting to harass and impeach this president. But number two, an impeachment inquiry, as you well know from, a, from the legal side, has meaning. Words have meaning. And it begins a real formal judicial process within our body that allows more information, It allows them to gain access to information, allows them to gain grand jury material, allows them to do this. The courts have already proven that. That's, they can't get it now because the courts have told them you're not in an inquiry. But the other thing it provides, and this is something very important, if they were to actually open an, uh, an impeachment inquiry and is based on the president of Clinton and Nixon, they now have to actually give due process. They actually now have to be concerned with this not being a one-sided, majority-driven committee investigation. They now have to give, like if they have in the past, I, as the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, if it comes to us, would have subpoena power, just like Chairman Nadler would. We would have the president have input into... You know, if they were calling witnesses, hey, here's some exculpatory stuff that we need. It would become a whole different proceeding, and they don't want that because that's 900 pages, a lot of money, a lot of time, in which there's actually a at least a modicum of fairness. And if they didn't do that, then they've got to explain to the American people why they chose to do a ad, you know, a, a a very partisan, very uh, non, you know, helpful. Uh, impeachment of this president, or impeachment inquiry of this president, and I don't think they're ready to explain to the American people. Lucy McBath is definitely not ready
8: to explain I'm to the American people. I was going to ask you about that. her.
0: She she doesn't seem ready. To, I mean, she's hiding from she. Her staff released a statement to the AJC, and she's gone into the witness protection program.
7: Pretty much. I mean, she's can We've heard up here, and the way she treat her staff treated Jamie Dupree. Yes. You know, you and I have known Jamie forever. I mean, that's a, he is a, he is the you know the epitome of a, a reporter. And, you know, just treated him and then but to see how she answered the question, Well, I stand behind what I did in the judiciary committee. Well, you know what you did? Nothing. You simply voted to have rules that was an Instagram filter to make it look like something it wasn't. That was the most you know, unfortunate event up here so far. But that's what Ms. Pelosi is putting her members through right now. You want to see how this is playing out in the Democratic caucus? Just look at Lucy McBath.
0: Well, and, you know, I wanted to ask you about this, so I'm glad you went there, is you've got the, the media has been buzzing with, oh, the, these 40 front-line Democrats. They, they now suddenly want impeachment, except the New York Times is running a story today that most of the moderate Democrats were really hoping they wouldn't go where they've gone now.
7: Oh yeah, it was not good. Last night I had the I, I was uh, I did a, a TV interview and it was on on Fox. But the, the between it was Lindsey Graham started it, and then there was two of those Democrats, and then it was me. And when it came to me, it was on Martha McCallum. So Martha said. What do you think about what's going on? And I said, "Did you just watch the previous three minutes? That tells you everything you need to know (laughs) about the Democrats because they never could utter the word, you know, impeachment and inquiry. They were doing; they couldn't because they were just so tore up inside of of what they need to do."
0: Well, I think I saw some polling in McBath's district that something like 70% of voters in the district are opposed to an impeachment inquiry. And,
7: you know, oh, yeah. it,
0: you look at the calendar, yeah. you got an election a year from now. <laughs> Settle it there.
7: Oh, there's a there's a thing going on in you, as you well know, from dealing with legislative bodies. There's a, there's a thing called a pass. You need 218 to pass something. <laughs> and they have 235. You talk about somebody looking for the golden pass ticket, it's McBath. Begging, let me vote no. If you ever bring this to the floor, right. please let me be on the pass list. Please let me be on the pass list. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, it is, is amazing.
0: Speaking of two hundred and eighteen to pass legislation, I'm assuming that essentially your your legislative path for anything is dead at this point. For particularly for gun legislation, climate change legislation, anything like that, nothing's going to get through now.
7: Nothing will. And 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 if it is, and here's the sad part, and, and this was something that actually was a affected. Uh, Hank Johnson authored a bill that was on arbitration. By the way, it did away with all arbitration. Arbitrarily, it did away, and that's funny, bill did away with arbitration right. for, for anything, except for unions, by the way. They carved out unions. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Shocking there. And um, But I got to the floor, and what I told him was, I said, you know, if we could, I told the chairman, I said, Chairman, if you could come to us and said, let's honestly work on a bill. There was two or three things, sexual assault, military. There's several things that we could have worked, and it would have had 395 votes. Okay. And he looked at me and said, do you think that really could? I said, well, you would have tried. It would have been nice. And they didn't, so they put it to the floor. And as I sat on the floor, it was this statement. I said, look, I said, let's just be fair here. This is a bill you'll pass. But unless you go back and understand civics, is if it doesn't pass the Senate, which it will not, and it doesn't get signed by the president, it's a political statement. And that's what I don't care if it's a Republican or Democrat doing the bill. And all we're doing right now is passing political statements. That's
0: looks like that's all you're going to be doing for a while. You know, it's kind they of a And
7: that's because we can't shut it down. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there
0: the, 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 the should be some some bipartisan things to do other than name and post offices. But I think impeachment just kind of kills everything. And, and understandably so.
7: Well, it does. I'm looking at my wall. I'm actually in my office for, for a few minutes. I'm looking at my walls and I go back and and, and Hakeem Jeffries and I had worked a partnered on criminal justice reform, a major overhaul to copyright with my music modernization bill you know, cloud act where we did data privacy across international lines. And I'm looking at these bills that are signed by both Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And I'm sitting here looking at what we've done in the first nine months of this house. I mean, we have the bipartisan work is dead. Nobody, I can't get willing partners on either side, you know, on the other side to do anything bills that they had normally passed, you know, had been signed on, you know, even anti-Semitic bill, that is about language for the Department of Education. I can't get the same people who were Democrats who signed on to it for two previous Congresses to sign on to it again because they're scared of their own conference. This is what we need to take. You know, we talk about, you know, voters not caring. This is the message you take into suburban districts. This is the message you take all of us, you know, to the country and say, here's what's happening. There are real issues we could deal with. And this is what's happening because we're so infatuated with a president we hate and a a presidential election coming up next year. It's just sad.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, Congressman, you've been generous with your time. I sure appreciate you stopping by, and good luck up there with the madness.
7: I appreciate it. We're going to keep fighting. Take
0: care. All right. Take care. Congressman Doug Collins uh, from here in Georgia. Good guy. Uh, ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee. And my goodness, he's got his work cut out for him now. You heard him, Congressman Doug Collins, pointing out, yeah, the Democrats can drag this thing out now with the whistleblower complaint, which is all third party. It's all hearsay. Um, it, it hearsay is it, it's it's a legal term that you have to have been one of the parties. Uh, in in, in, the thing which happened had to have involved you. So if I come to you and say I did such and such, you can't then go to court and say, well, Eric said he did such and such. No, they got to call me. I'm the party involved. Um, If I'm dead, then they can call someone who says Eric told me such and such, but keep in mind he died. He's not here. We have to rely on this person. Um, It's second and third hand accounts of things. And A committee in a due process hearing does not want to hear hearsay. An impeachment committee, as Congressman Collins says, you have to extend due process rights. Um, You do not have to, um, you're not going to have hearsay. You're going to follow rules of procedure, and those rules of procedure exclude hearsay testimony. So you're not going to have the whistleblower testify in an impeachment proceeding. What you're going to have is the whistleblower testify under oath prior to an official inquiry and say, I talked to this person, 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 I talked to this person. Here are the documents I saw, this, 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 and this. And then Congress is going to build for their impeachment inquiry. They're going to build a a request for production of documents and a list of witnesses they want who will be the direct witnesses. What did you see? Did you participate in the call? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. What happened on the call? Um, They remember an impeachment inquiry cannot summon the president of the United States. There's a separation of powers issue. You cannot summon the president to an impeachment hearing on the president. So you summon the witnesses and they may not be the firsthand accounts, but they're as close as you can get. And so they're allowed, even though it's technically hearsay, I heard the president say that's hearsay. You know, actually if you ever watch judge Judy of all things, if you ever watch Judge Judy, you'll have two people up there they'll they'll be arguing over something and someone will say, "Well, she told me and Judge Judy'll say, "I don't want to tell, I don't want you to tell me what she said to you. Tell me what she did." And you'll be able to describe the actions. Uh, she's essentially what she's doing is she's saying, "I don't want hearsay." That's that's what's happening. Um, Let's see there. The Associated Press right now is reporting House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says allegations the White House moved to lock down records of Trump's call with the president shows this is a cover up. No, 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 it doesn't. It shows that they had a situation with a woman called Reality Winner and Reality Winner poisoned the well for them. Now, uh, let's go to the Trump PAC call. Uh, They're releasing an ad. They want Biden investigated.
4: What does white privilege really look like? Weeks after Joe Biden visits China as
7: vice president, his son secures a private billion dollar deal with the Bank of China. After Biden is named America's top diplomat to Ukraine, his
4: son joins Ukraine's largest private gas producer with no relevant experience and
7: lands another million dollar deal. And before Ukraine's top prosecutor can investigate the shady dealings of Biden's son, he gets the prosecutor fired,
4: then brags about it.
5: I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. I think it was about six hours. I looked, I said, we leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch,
7: got fired. Instead of another failed presidential witch hunt, House Democrats should investigate one of their own, Joe Biden. Great America Pack is responsible for the content of this message.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, right now, while we're sitting here talking the, well, you know what, let, I'll get to this one in a minute. Let, let me get to the Joe Biden thing. You know, the Joe Biden thing is, is a red herring. It's designed to keep you distracted. I don't think the president should be impeached for this, but I also don't think there's any reason to lie about the Joe Biden situation to obfuscate the matter. And they're going to, I get it. It's a, it's all fair and love and war and politics. And they're lying about Biden. Uh, The prosecutor in Ukraine who Biden went over and said, if you don't fire him, you're not getting a billion dollars. Joe Biden was ordered by the president of the United States, Barack Obama, to go do that. Joe Biden had no power to go do that. Joe Biden didn't even have the power to summon an airplane to fly him to Ukraine without president by without president uh, Obama's permission. The reason Joe Biden did it is because all the Western powers had a billion dollars to go to Ukraine, to help them fight the Russians. But they were convinced because of a scandal in Ukraine that the money was actually being used to buy diamonds and other things for Ukrainian oligarchs and not to actually uh, deal with the Russian situation. The prosecutor uh, had discovered that some of the Ukrainian oligarchs had used government money to buy diamonds and other things and refused to prosecute them, refused to even further investigate them. So the Western allies did not want to give their money to Ukraine unless the prosecutor was fired. So Obama told the Western allies, told the NATO leaders he would take care of it. He could have sent John Kerry. He could have sent uh, Jay Johnson. He could have sent, um, uh, what's his name, Carter, the, the Ash Carter, the Secretary of Defense. He could have sent his chief of staff. He could have sent the ambassador. He could have sent a lot of people. Instead, Barack Obama liked to choose Joe Biden for these sorts of things, and Biden liked to do it. Biden should have recused himself because of his son's business, but he didn't. So he went to Ukraine and told the Ukrainian government, if you don't fire this guy, you're not getting a billion dollars. And Biden brags about this. this. This is his big deal. Biden liked to do this sort of thing. So it appeared to be a conflict of interest, but it really wasn't a conflict of interest because that was going to happen. The money was going to be withheld unless this person got fired. Barack Obama could have sent anyone he wanted. That person would have delivered the exact same message. They would have withheld the money. It just happened to be Joe Biden to be the one to do it. Here's the thing the Trump campaign isn't actually saying, though. That company that Hunter Biden was involved with, it wasn't under investigation at the time. The investigation had been suspended already because there was no there there. And other prosecutors have looked at it and said there was no there there so it's dishonest but i get why they're doing it all righty we need to actually move into something that's happening right now uh the defense the director of national intelligence is testifying uh and well we got adam schiff the white house calling him out liar liar pants on fire
8: as an aside i want to mention that uh, my colleague is right on both counts um it's not okay, uh, but also, by summary, of the president's call was meant to be at least part in parity. The fact that that's not clear is a separate problem uh, in and of itself. Uh, of course, the president never said, um, if, I, uh, if you don't understand me, I'm going to say it seven more times. My point is, that's the message that the Ukraine president was receiving, in not so many words.
0: Um, what is the... Schiff tried to make a funny, so he claims, that the president uh, kept saying Biden, 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 Biden in his transcript, and he really didn't. Uh, and he got called out uh, by other members of the committee. In fact, here's Congressman Devin Nunes.
8: I want to congratulate the Democrats on the rollout of their latest information warfare operation against the president and their extraordinary ability to once again enlist the mainstream media in their campaign. This operation began with media reports from the prime instigators of the Russia collusion hoax that a whistleblower is claiming President Trump made nefarious promise to a foreign leader. The release transcript of that call has already debunked that central assertion. But that didn't matter. The Democrats simply moved the goalposts and began claiming that there doesn't need to be a quid pro quo for this conversation to serve as the basis for impeaching the president. Speaker Pelosi went further when asked earlier if she would put brakes on impeachment, if the transcript turned out to be benign. She responded, quote, so there you go. If the whistleblower operation doesn't work out, the Democrats and their media. We have candidates, quote, we have many candidates for impeachable offensives. That was her quote. So there you go. If the whistleblower operation doesn't work out, the Democrats and their media assets can always drum up something else. And what other information has come to light since the original false report of a promise being made? We've learned the following. The complaint relied on hearsay evidence provided by the whistleblower. The Inspector General did not know the contents of the phone call at issue. The Inspector General found the whistleblower displayed arguable political bias against trump the department of justice investigated the complaint and determined no action was warranted the ukrainian president denies being pressured by president trump wanna
0: yeah okay now let's get into some of the the meat of this here you know the um Washington Post yesterday reported that the director of national intelligence threatened to resign um, if he couldn't be candid with Congress. Uh, he's come out since then. After that, the, the Washington Post standing by the report, but the director of national intelligence himself has come out and said, absolutely not. This is not true. I did not do that. Uh, I've never threatened to resign. The Washington Post standing by its report using anonymous sources to stand by their reporting. He was asked about that. Here's the director of national intelligence. At any point during this
2: process, did you personally threaten to resign if the complaint was not provided
3: to the committee? No, Congressman, I, I, I did not. And I know that that story has appeared
0: quite a bit. And I issued a statement yesterday. All right. Thank you. A- yeah. <laughs> Ready to move on. She's only got four minutes. She's only got four minutes. Well, now this is circulating. I find this very funny. This is, you know, little Eric Swalwell, who thought he could run
7: for president. Information system. Is that right? Congresswoman. Excuse me, sir. I apologize. Congresswoman. Is, is that what was alleged in the whistleblower information system?
0: <laughs> Con- Congresswoman. <laughs> oh, and of course, there are Democrats out there. They can't believe he did. He's just showing he's a true Trump guy. Did that uh, Eric Swalwell you know he clearly misspoke the uh, dude is not a partisan guy um and oh, man people just they're they can't handle it they can't handle it uh here's congressman turner i believe of yeah ohio mike turner of ohio uh with the director of national intelligence more speaking than asking questions
8: now we've seen this movie before we've been here all year on litigating impeachment long before the july 25th conversation happened between the president and the president of ukraine and we've heard the clicks of the cameras in this intelligence committee's room where we've not been focusing on the issues of the national security threats but instead of the calls and for impeachment, which is really an assault on the electorate, not just this president. Now, the complaint we now have, it, Mr. Director, is based on hearsay. Uh, the person
0: who wrote it says, I talked to people and they told me these things. Now, the American public has the transcript and the complaint, so they have the ability to compare them. Yep. Uh, just an assault on the electorate. That's what the Republicans are calling it. Now, here's Mitch McConnell on the floor of the Senate talking about the impeachment process and where we go. So, Mr. President,
7: yesterday evening, Speaker Pelosi announced the House of Representatives will begin what she called an official impeachment inquiry. But really, Mr. President, we know that House Democrats have been indulging their impeachment obsession for nearly three years now. A never-ending impeachment parade in search of a rationale, the very day that President Trump was inaugurated, the Washington Post ran a news story with this headline. The campaign to impeach President Trump has begun, the day of his inauguration.
0: The day of his inauguration. See, this is going to be the Republican message for a while now that Democrats are doing this for political purposes. They have no credible basis to impeach the president. It's all political. And, and now they've gone back and they've done something. I, I mentioned this earlier in the show, and it is kind of funny. The Democrats have been there for so long. That a lot of the Democrats, most of the Republicans have had pretty strong turnover in the last decade. And the Democrats, a lot of them are still there. The, the old chairman of these committees, they're ancient of days, and they've been around since the Clinton impeachment. Republicans went back into the archives on C-SPAN and found all of them talking about the Clinton impeachment and put together a montage.
2: They are driven by hatred. Yeah. They hate Bill and Hillary Clinton so much they will stop at nothing yeah. to bring him down
5: because we are, here, as we are here today because the Republicans in the House are paralyzed with hatred of President Clinton and until the Republicans free themselves of this hatred, our country will suffer.
4: And one of the reasons we all feel so angry about what they are doing is that they are ripping from us, they are ripping asunder our votes. They are telling us that our votes don't count. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties and opposed by the other. Bill Clinton acted deplorably in his personal behavior. But what the American people are
5: saying loudly and clearly is let's get on with the business. This is their president we are talking about. And we in Congress had better be very careful before we upset their decision and make darn sure that our decision To impeach him was based upon principle and not politics.
4: My fear is that when a Republican wins the White House, Democrats will demand payback.
0: (laughs) Well, here we go. Democrats demanding payback. In fact, here's Maxine Waters. I want to play you that montage began with the clip of Maxine Waters. I want to go with the further um, expansion of what Maxine Waters said.
2: thought coming. They thought that Bill Clinton was just gonna fold up his tent and go home. Oh, but Hillary said, oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Let me tell you what Hillary said. Hillary said, Bill, you go out there and do the people's business. She said, Bill, I don't care what they say. You go out there, the polls show everywhere. The people like the work that you're doing. You go on out there and do the people's work and I'll take care of you later.
0: All righty then, Maxie. Now, you know, there is a relevant point here. Dare I bring it up? Dare I bring it up? Bill Clinton was polling above 50%. Donald Trump is not. That is, the Republicans do have a little bit of wiggle room in this impeachment situation because Bill Clinton didn't poll so well, or Bill Clinton polled much better than... Donald Trump is polling. Donald Trump, in fact, uh, 55% of independent voters in the Quinnipiac poll, and this has gone up over the last six months, 55% of independent voters say they have no use for and do not intend to vote for Donald Trump. Think about that. 55% of independent voters, 55% of independent voters say they're not going to vote for Donald Trump. That's not good for the president, and that number's gone up. And this is why the Democrats can do what they do, because they know the president is vulnerable to Republicans in the Senate. Republicans in the Senate are publicly—they're they're publicly holding still and holding their ground in support of the president. Publicly, uh, some of the Republicans are expressing some concerns. Pat Toomey, uh, Richard Burr, uh, Ben Sass, Cory Gardner— um, there was uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Susan Collins. You, you got six or seven Republicans now who are expressing concerns about the whistleblower, and you need to understand why they're expressing their concerns about the whistleblower. They they recognize what the whistleblower is saying is hearsay. They recognize that the whistleblower himself admits or herself admits that it, he has no direct knowledge, none, no direct knowledge of what actually happened, no direct knowledge of the president and his conversation. But what the whistleblower has is sufficient information to show that well-informed people who did have direct knowledge talked to this person, which means this person has their names. So though the whistleblower doesn't have direct knowledge, the whistleblower has at least a half dozen names of people who do have direct knowledge. The whistleblower also has a statement that the president's team did something with documents, put them into a classified system where they did not belong to keep them from being revealed to protect the president. So he claims uh, we know one of those documents is the transcript. We now have that transcript that somewhat undermines one of the Democrat claims because the Democrats claim this wasn't a real transcript. But in fact, we know from the whistleblower this was the transcript. But we know from the the whistleblower there are other documents as well. That's why the Republicans are troubled. The Senate Republicans are also troubled at Rudy Giuliani because if you believe the whistleblower and it is consistent with the transcript of the call, the president was using Rudy Giuliani as an intermediary with the Ukrainians. This goes beyond him serving as a personal lawyer to the president to him serving as a representative of the United States. Now, The president, if I can be blunt with you, he's kind of screwed himself on this. If Rudy Giuliani was serving as an agent of the president in his official capacity, then Rudy Giuliani has to be able to testify in an impeachment hearing. And he can't claim lawyer-client privilege. That's a big issue here. If Rudy Giuliani was working for the president in his personal capacity, he claims lawyer-client privilege. If Rudy Giuliani was working for the president in his official capacity, he can't claim lawyer-client privilege. And according to Rudy Giuliani himself, he was operating under the direction of the State Department. Well, if Rudy was operating under the direction of the State Department, he wasn't operating under the direction of the president, and therefore he can't even claim executive privilege in that regard because it was the State Department that told him to do something. And if it was the State Department that told him to do something and not the president directly, well, that's an end run around executive privilege. And if he was operating for the State Department, he clearly wasn't operating for the president as the president's lawyer. So there's no attorney-client privilege and there's no executive privilege, so Rudy has to talk and of course again going back to the president yesterday at the united nations the president was asked about rudy giuliani and here's what the president said
3: well you'd have to ask rudy i will tell you i will tell you this that uh rudy's looking to also find out where the phony witch hunt started how it started yet a russian witch hunt that turned out to be two and a half years of phony nonsense And Rudy Giuliani is a great lawyer. He was a great mayor. He's highly respected. I've watched the passion that he's had on television over the last uh, few days. I think it's incredible the way he's done. What he's out is he wants to find out where did this Russian witch hunt that you people really helped perpetrate, where did it start? How come it started? It was all nonsense. It was a hoax. It was a total hoax. It was a media hoax and a Democrat hoax. Where did it start? And Rudy's got every right to go and find out where that started. And other people are looking at that, too. Where did it start? The enablers. Where did it all come from? It was out of thin air. And I think he's got a very strong right to do it. He's a good lawyer. He knows exactly what he's doing. And it's very important.
0: Yes, Rudy has a right to do this, and he has a right to do it to protect his client. The problem is Rudy Giuliani himself on television said he did it because the State Department asked him. So either Rudy was lying on TV or, or he's not actually the president's lawyer. And they're going to they're gonna have to examine this. Whether you want them to or not, they're going to have to examine it. You can't say attorney-client-privileged if Rudy Giuliani was working on behalf of the State Department. And according to Rudy Giuliani, he was working on behalf of the State Department. Likewise, this then raises a bigger bag of worms. If Rudy Giuliani went to Madrid to meet with the agents of the president of Ukraine and was doing so on behalf of the president personally, he can claim attorney-client privilege, but why? Why would the president's lawyer be meeting with Ukrainian officials in Spain on a personal matter? I mean, you can use your imagination. You can come up with something. See, Rudy's done the president no favors here. He's done the president no favors. And because he's done the president no favors, he's he's dragged the president into all sorts of problems. Rudy Giuliani is going to be called to testify. And when he says he's the president's personal lawyer and he has attorney-client privilege, the Democrats are going to want to know why you went on TV and said you were working on behalf of the State Department. And when he says, well, he was lying, he was just on TV pretending, then they're going to say, well, as the president's personal lawyer, why did you go to Spain to meet with people? What does that have to do with the president personally? And the media, when Rudy refuses to answer because of attorney-client privilege, the media will have a field day. So, it's actually a very good thing and plays to the president's advantage that for the past month or two, the media has been ruthlessly wrong on almost everything. Because the president will completely be able to undermine the media's pursuit of this story by pointing out just how wrong the media has been on virtually everything in the past month and how destructive and corruptive the media has been over the past month and that will serve to his advantage with the base and probably keep the Republicans in line so they don't join the Democrats on impeachment. But there is a wild-card scenario. All those good Republicans... Who are retiring from the House of Representatives? What will they do? What will they do? Well, we're sitting here talking about dirty national politics, there's a dirty, dirty race happening here in Georgia in the Noonan, Peachtree City area. House District 71 special election for David Stover's uh, replacement. I-, I just got a text from someone who says it looks like um, it- they believe that one campaign is spoofing the cell phone number. Of the other candidate uh, to make him uh, look bad, Philip Singleton. This is the Marcy Sacrison, Philip Singleton race. Uh, Singleton has come under nonstop attack from Sacrison. Um, just absolutely brutal attacks from her. She's in second place and is desperate to win, uh, trying to motivate people. Singleton needs all the help he can. Singleton has come out and said he would oppose uh, David Ralston as Speaker, uh, which needs to happen. Uh, David Ralston needs to be a Opposed as Speaker. And um, Mar- Sackerson, of course, has taken money from David Ralston, so she's not going to come out and oppose him. Uh, that's, that's, it's not a good situation. They continue to slam Singleton with money. They've got money from lobbyists outside of the district pouring in to attack Philip Singleton. And this is going to be one of those things where they want to beat him desperately to keep the Speaker and they want to say, oh, oh, running against the Speaker is a bad thing. Running against the Speaker, it's it's you You run against the Speaker, you lose. They're trying to make the Speaker look like he's more powerful than he actually is. And they're using Sacrison's race to do it. Tons, of, lots and lots of dollars are flowing into House District 71 to help Marcy Sacrison right now. Lots of money pouring into the District from lobbyists, from legislators, from the Speaker and from others uh, to try to make sure people think the Speaker is not vulnerable. And he is. And all of these attacks, they're accusing Philip Singleton of, of actually being a closet Democrat. They're accusing him of being a rhino. They're accusing him of harassing voters. They're accusing him of, of, of everything under the sun. Short of murder, they're accusing him. And it's not going to help him, I don't think. I think they're still going to lose. They're desperate. They're running a deeply nasty campaign. But you got to understand the parameters here. The reason they're lying about Singleton is because they need the media to shape a narrative that you can't run against the speaker. You see, it, there are a lot of reporters in Georgia who want the Democrats to win next year. There are a lot of reporters in Georgia who really want the Democrats and they know the Democrats are going to use David Ralston uh, because of the scandal of David Ralston, protecting criminal clients. They're going to use the Ralston scandal. And, and,